Good morning. Hey, there's many of you in this room that I don't know. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here at Redemption. Uh, thank you so much for joining us at our first ever Greater Conference. I'm excited for uh, what we're all going to get to experience this morning. Uh, the other speakers, the worship we've already had, the worship we'll have uh, later on. I also want to say hi to all of you watching online today. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, via wherever it is that you're at this morning. A few months ago, we sat down and, and we started to chat as a church staff and ask ourselves the questions, what, uh, for our church to continue to, to do what we need to do, what are some of the moments that we need to create for people in our congregation? And one of those moments was today, time for us to, to circle around and to remind ourselves what real leadership looks like. And then we had the great idea of inviting some of y'all to come and join us because we thought that would be more fun. And so those of you who are here from different organizations this morning, thank you so much for joining us uh, as we go through this idea of what is real leadership. Now, we're going to look to where we're supposed to look when we want to find any truth, and that's right here in the Scriptures. And with all topics, but particularly leadership, the world has much to say about what real leadership is. And so we want to find out, well, what did Jesus say real leadership was all about? As we see right here in the beginning of our text, it says, a dispute also arose among them. Now, the dispute was between the disciples, and they were arguing as they did often. In fact, uh, there's at least three different times that they were having this argument recorded in the scriptures. It's discussed seven different times. Some of those may have been parallel passages. And if we see it in the scriptures on seven different occasions, that probably meant that it was happening all the time. And so this was a consistent argument or dispute about who was the greatest or who would be the greatest. Now, this is not something that was reserved just for 2,000 years ago. I mean, even to this day, right, we still argue much about who is the greatest. Amen. And some questions are answered for us, right? We even have a term to talk about this now, right? The GOAT, the greatest of all time. And it's a basketball dispute, and we already answered it, Michael, right? Sometimes it's a football dispute. Who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest quarterback of all time? And I think that was answered for us two weeks ago, right? We know. Listen, everyone's like, he's a product of the system. No, he is the system, okay? He is the system. Every recess, the kids argue about who's the greatest, Every sports bar, you're arguing about who's the greatest. And then in every facet of life, we have magazines and publications and awards to describe or to define or to label who is the greatest. And so this conversation that they're having was about the most normal conversation that people have. Who's going to be the greatest? Now, another way you could look at this is perhaps the disciples were young enough to look at Jesus and think maybe there would be a moment when he wouldn't be around and one of us would get to take over. And so they're asking like, hey, what's the secession plan here? Like who gets to take your spot if something happens to you? Who's the greatest? Who's going to rise up among us? And Jesus Every time he answers this question with them, he has a, a pattern, a rhythm to the answer of the question. 
as if he was trying to teach them and us something through the answer. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look into Jesus's answer. And I want to see first what Jesus is calling fake leadership. And then he always has this transitional statement when he's talking about this, something to this effect, but not so with you. Or in other words, we're going to do it differently. In my kingdom, we will measure leadership or greatness. He uses the words interchangeably in the text. We're going to measure it or do it differently. And then he talks about what real leadership is. And so that's just what we're going to do. This morning, this is the sermon. I, I, I just want to explain what fake leadership is in Jesus' mind and then transition into what he says real leadership is under this idea that when Jesus teaches principles and when Jesus um, teaches us how something is supposed to actually work, he's not just teaching us how it works in the church or in a spiritual endeavor. He's actually teaching us how it works best in anything. And so these principles apply everywhere, as you'll see later on in our day as well. Who's the greatest, they argued. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. This is Jesus's description of fake leadership. He categorizes it into two different elements. First, he says, the first element of fake leadership is that they exercise lordship over them. The second element is that they are called benefactors. These are the two ways that Jesus describes fake leadership. The first, they exercise, they, the leaders, exercise lordship or authority, a different translation says, over them. I mean, even the usage of the pronouns begins to speak to something. It's just them. It's just them, the, the congregant. It's just them, the employee. It's just them, the citizen. And the first element of this, exercising lordship over them, let's break it down a little bit uh, here on what Jesus is getting at. Because I think the first thing that Jesus is saying, saying is this. They exercise, they, in that type of leadership, in fake leadership, they exercise lordship over, over them. There's a disconnect. And, and one of the first elements of fake leadership is that there becomes a, a relational break between leader and follower. There's a relational disconnect that begins to widen. And, and in some ways, this is silly, right? And we, but we see this happen, right? Like, like the relational disconnect, like, like, like they park here and them park over here. They, get to eat here in this cafe, and them have to eat over here, right? Like, like even in the most subtle of ways, we begin to break down the relational connection. We create perks for the leaders that don't exist for the followers, right? We, we create rules for the followers that the leaders don't have to follow, and there becomes a relational breakdown, and the two camps emerge, leader and follower, and Jesus says, this is fake leadership. This is fake leadership. You can begin to tell that you're starting to operate in the realm of fake leadership when the gap, the relational gap between leader and follower, and then the systems that come out as a result begin to split everybody into two camps. Okay? That's the first part. He says, you're exercising authority over them, right? 
Second, second part then of this, I believe Jesus is teaching. He you exercise authority over them. In, in, in fake leadership, there is no restraint to the use of, of, of the authority that the leader has. Remember, Jesus is speaking this into a time of maybe one of the most worldly famous leaders ever, Caesar, right? Very little restraint of his authority or his power. And Jesus is saying in fake leadership, what they do is they exercise the full might of their authority over them. What might this look like? Full might of authority. Maybe it's, it's like you're the leader and you have a greater intellect than the follower. And so you just intellectually beat that person down, right? Or, or the full um, extent of your authority is I'm boss and I said this and you do. The, the full extent of, of, of not holding back on the authority is, is, is what the fake leader does is they realize the position, the, the, the status, the power, the wealth, um, the, the force of, uh, of whatever other systems have been built in to, to supplant their leadership and they will use it in full force to make sure there's compliance. I'm going to contrast all this, by the way, with real leadership later. Just setting up what fake leadership is. And so the first part of fake leadership, there's a relational disconnection. The second part of fake leadership is that there is no restriction or there is no restraining of the authority or the power. They will use whatever they have to get their point across. Third, third element, they exercise authority over them. The the third element here is this. They're exercising authority. Why are they exercising authority? So that they can, as I just alluded to, force compliance. And so the third element of fake leadership is this. They never have to rally. They can always just force. I can just push you. I can make you do this. And so uh, whether this is whether this is in the church and you're telling people, hey, this is what you're doing and you're going to do it or you're no longer going to be a part of this, right? Or this is in the, in the business and, and if you don't, then you will get fired. And, and what happens under this type of uh, fake leadership is that, uh, let me break things down into three camps. On camp number one, you have the people who want to. In camp number two, you have the people who, who, who have to. And then I would say there's like a third camp, which is like you are threatened to. And in fake leadership, they're never operating out of rallying people to the cause and moving in them, uh, in them to want to do something. In, in fake leadership, they can just be fine operating in the you have to do this. You have to do this or you'll get kicked out of the church. You have to do this or you will get fired. You have to do this or you even go further and you say, we're going to threaten you. Like, I mean, we exist in a, in, in a world right now where there's a lot of threats, right? Like you will do this or you'll go to jail or we'll kick you off of Facebook or we'll, you know, like whatever it might be. And we operate out of this, this like we move people based on the, 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 the threat of force, And so here's Jesus saying, here's how you can identify fake leadership. Is there a relational disconnect that's occurring between leader and follower? It's a sign of fake leadership. Is there there no restraint ever of power, authority, might, superiority? It's a sign of fake leadership. He says, uh, are, are the people following because they have to or they're threatened to or because they want to? Because if it's in either of those two camps, it's fake leadership. Okay? That's the first one. 
That's what, what, when Jesus is saying they exercise lordship over them. Here's the, here's the second one. He says they're called benefactors. He says that the fake leaders, they're called benefactors. The first element of this is that they're called something. Uh, don't we know you can be called something that you aren't? Like you can call somebody anything that you want to call them. That doesn't mean that they are. And other people can call themselves whatever that they want to be called, but that doesn't mean that they are. And in this, Jesus is saying they're called benefactors. I think what Christ is getting at is this. I think he's saying they're more interested in what they're called than what they accomplish. He said the the leaders and the fake leadership, a sign of it is when you're more interested in, in, well, what will people know me as? What will my title be? What will my role be? In church, this is like, okay, so am I just a volunteer or do I get to be called intern? Am I an intern now or do I actually get to be called staff member? I'm a staff member, but, but when do I get the pastor title? In retail, it's like, do I get a polo? Like, when will the word assistant manager be placed? When are we going to tell everybody else? And one of the signs of fake leadership is when you're more interested in what you're called than in what you accomplish. This happens multiple times in church, right? Where somebody will show up and they'll have been here for like one week or one hour. And all of a sudden they'll start asking the question like, hey, do you guys have any staff positions available? And I'll be like, I don't even know if you can vacuum, let alone hire you, because vacuuming is actually a prerequisite to ever being on staff. You're more interested, the sign of fake leadership is when you're more, and we see this at every age and every stage, where people chase a title, where they chase some type of um, status symbol, whether it's a label or a uniform. It's a sign of fake leadership. When we see it in younger people, we get an opportunity to go, you don't understand what you're doing. (laughs) When we see it in older people, you go, how come you didn't learn this a long time ago? It's a sign of fake leadership. So they're, they're, they're just interested in what they're being called, not in what they're actually accomplishing. Second thing, they're called benefactors. They're called benefactors. Now, a benefactor is somebody who's supposed to be benefiting other people. And Jesus is saying here, they're called benefactors, but they're not actually a benefactor because all of the benefit of what it is that they're doing is actually pointing back to them, not outward. And so they're just called a benefactor. And so one of the signs of fake leadership, and this one I think is actually the most gut-wrenching because what it makes us stop and do is ask ourselves the question of when I'm leading, when I'm making a leadership decision, when I'm starting a new program, when I'm issuing a new like, hey, this is where we're headed and this is what we're doing. When we're doing all of those things, is it ultimately about benefiting them or me? Because the moment I launch a new um, bonus program, the, the, the moment we say, hey, here's where we're going to start heading as a church, and this is where I really see you fitting in. Is it really about where that person fits in because it's good for them? Or is it really about getting them to fit into the cog of my wheel, which is ultimately just going to benefit me? And he's saying in fake leadership, what happens is the fake leaders create systems, we call them government programs, where the point is to actually ultimately end up benefiting them and not the people that they're supposed to be serving. 
And she says, that's how you can find fake leadership. Just look underneath a little bit. And what you're going to see is that in the end, all of the ultimate benefits go back to the person who started the thing. So that's fake leadership. They're just called benefactors. They're not actually benefactors. <laughs> They're benefiting. And so here's Jesus saying, this is what fake leadership is. And then he says this, but not so with you. Not so with you. Not so in our kingdom. Not so in this kingdom, Jesus is saying. That's not how we're going to do it. And then I think what Jesus does next, because Jesus is really smart, is he lays out what real leadership is, and he lays it out as a direct contrast to what it is that he has just said fake leadership is. And he says, not so with you. In the NLT, in Matthew 20, which is a parallel passage of this, Jesus says, but not so among you. Whoever wants to be the leader, or some translations say, whoever wants to be great, if you didn't understand the terminology of our conference, greater conference is about becoming more of a leader in Jesus' style, real leadership. Jesus says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant and must be a slave, must be a diakonos, must be a doulos, servant and slave. That's what real leadership is. Jesus has just gotten done saying, fake leadership serves self. Fake leadership serves self. Real leadership, then Jesus says, serves people. Real leadership serves people. How does real leadership serve people? In the exact contrast to how the fake leadership does it. And so to understand real leadership, then all we have to do is understand fake leadership and then see the reverse. We call that the gospel flip, where it goes in, the gospel flips it around, and it comes back out the other side, the complete opposite of what everyone else was doing in the world. And so in real leadership, Jesus says you have to be a diakonos and a doulos. A diakonos uh, is the word that we use for servant. And uh, this word later, we would get our terminology in the church, deacon, which was a group of people who were called to serve the church. Uh, now, oftentimes, we see in church structures and all of this, um, we, maybe we don't use the word deacon. We use the word staff member or somebody uh, who's being like promoted to a position of authority. And it's interesting that we have taken this idea of deacon and we've turned it into this like position of power when the original call of deacons was to do what? Somebody knows literally serve tables. Like the first leadership position uh, created in the church era was waiter. Go serve a table. Go serve, go serve food. Right? And now it's been like, well, I want to become a deacon because I get something special or I get a vote. Right? And Jesus says, now the first real leadership you are a diakonos. You are a servant. You're a servant. Okay, so how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus do this? Well, he did it the complete opposite of the fake leaders. The fake leader did what? They created a relational disconnection between leader and follower. They had lordship over them. What did Jesus do? Literally went from over to down. I mean, actually was over because he is God over all things and actually physically showed real leadership by going over all the way down to earth. So, so Jesus then shows what real leadership is in like a practical sense of saying, instead of exercising authority over them, I am going to serve under them or with them. In fact, 
He says, I am among you as the one who serves. You can only be among when you have relational connection between those whom you are serving. The, the, the fake leader is over. Jesus says the real leader is among. The real leader follows the same rules as the follower. The, the, the real leader is relationally connected in such a way so that they can actually be close enough to serve the person that's following them. And that's real leadership, Jesus says. I mean, the entire point of Christ's coming was to do what? Restore relationship. So that's what the, the, the real leader does. The real leader looks for opportunities to, 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 to both, both systematically and practically and, and spiritually um, to, to break down the barriers that exist then and to form relationship. Okay, that's first. The second thing then, what does he do? What, is the real, what did Jesus do? The, the fake leader never restrained their authority. Jesus was always restricting his power for the sake of his followers. Always. Jesus was authoritative without it being authoritarian. He had the full authority, but uh, I mean, how did Jesus do this? Jesus, in his brilliance, would do what? Make the most complex things simple so that his followers could understand. Jesus, who literally on the cross is being said, hey, you could do this. And Jesus said, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use the fullness of my power, even though I could. Why? So I can serve my people. That one of the elements of real leadership is even when you can't, even when you could exercise the, the might of your tongue or the sheer force of your position, you don't and you refrain. Why? For the good of the follower. A couple ways that I think um, Jesus exercised this really well is in one of, the way, one of the ways is in how he restored people. How he restored people. How, how Jesus would, would use the position of his, uh, he was perfect, right? And so when somebody in his little kingdom messed up, and I know everyone who leads something here thinks they're perfect and their employees always mess up, right? Or their people always mess up. And it's easy then in that moment to just step in and say, hey, because I'm perfect, let me step in and fix this. And Jesus, what would he do? How did he restore? Look how he restored people. Let it not be lost, that the first person that Jesus commissions as a pastor is the person who had failed the most. Peter. Like Jesus was trying to teach us something. That the person in our organization who has failed the greatest might have the greatest opportunity to actually lead. He was teaching us something. He was teaching us that, that if we can refrain from lashing out and using the full authority of our position and actually restore as we're supposed to, then when we restore that person, then they might actually be the best opportunity for the thing to grow. It's possible that right now in your system and whatever it is that you lead, whatever it is that you do, that the person who has failed you greatest with the proper restoration might be the one who does the greatest. Another way I think this, this happened with Jesus, and, and this is kind of a tie into this, because I think this is important. When, when Jesus corrected, he always corrected without crushing. He, he always corrected without crushing. Now, we don't call it correcting anymore. Now we call it coaching, right? Because it sounds more modern. 
And so we call it coaching. I'm going to coach this person. I'm going to coach that person. And Jesus, here's what I think Jesus knew about correcting or coaching, whatever word you want to use. Jesus knew that every time he had an opportunity to correct or coach something, someone, that it was either, and we see this in the text all the time, that it was either the beginning of that person's end or the beginning of their ascend to greatness. Every time he coached them, it was the beginning of the end or it was the beginning of their ascend. For the rich young ruler, Jesus stepped in. He said, let me, let me show you what we're going to do. And he said, yeah, I'm out. It was the end. To Peter, he said, Peter, this is how we're going to do this, and this is how we're going to work. And what was it? It was the beginning of Peter's ascent. It means that you and I, every time that we have an opportunity to correct or to coach somebody, have to look at that moment and realize this is either going to be the beginning of the end or this is going to be the beginning of this person's ascent to greatness. What an opportunity. What an opportunity that we have. And so Jesus here, he's just, he's reversing all of these things. Now, the, the, the third thing, right? The first thing was that they, uh, the fake leader doesn't, doesn't, um, rally. They force. Well, look at Jesus. Jesus always rallied, not forced. Jesus always wanted the people who wanted to. He doesn't look and say, you have to, and he doesn't threaten them to, and he had a pretty good threat. Like, hey, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Right? Like that's a pretty, that's a pretty good threat that he could have used. But what does Jesus do instead? Instead, what he's doing is he's constantly rallying them to the mission and to the call. Now, you might say, well, then, you know, Jesus had a pretty compelling vision, and he did. And that's important in this. But what it's also important for us to see in this, that what the real leader does is they set up the vision and they set up the mission of what we're trying to accomplish because they want everyone who's going to be following them to want to. Because unless you get people to want to, then they will never do the things that you want them to. They will never sacrifice the way they need to unless they want to. People in the have to and the threaten to People who are hanging out in this camp because our leadership is about forcing instead of rallying them, they might for a moment, but they either when it gets hard or there comes a better opportunity, they're going to abandon. Real leadership, Jesus says, rallies people to, and then they'll be willing to sacrifice for what you're calling them to. And so Jesus gets done at the end and a bunch of his people leave, right? One of his speeches, and they're all gone. And they've disappeared, and Jesus kind of looks at the disciples like, hey, y'all even too? And they go, we don't have anywhere else to go. Why? Because he, in his leadership, had moved them to a place of them saying, we want to be here. We don't care how hard the teaching is, and we don't care how tough it gets. We're sticking in. And you know that when you lead properly along the way, that when things get tough, when pandemics happen, when, 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 when trouble happens to your ministry or your business or whatever it might be, that all of a sudden, the leadership that you have been planting all along, the want to versus the have to or the threaten to, that those people in the want to camp become the people that you walk through the difficult season with, and all of the people in the have to or the threaten to camp quickly leave. But when you lead through rallying to the cause and getting people to want to, when you lead in that way, then the tough times come and you band together and you get through it and you're actually better on the other side. This is real leadership, Jesus says. Real leadership. Now, the other element of fake leadership was that they're called benefactors. They're called benefactors. 
They weren't actually benefactors. And Jesus says the opposite of this is being known as a slave. A slave. See, the benefactor has what? The, the, the fake leaders have what? They have slaves. They have slaves who ultimately bring them benefit. Jesus is saying, we get to be slaves who ultimately bring other people benefit. And Jesus says, and he's using this term slave, doulos, which means galley slave, which is also a term that Paul would use much later. It was a position on the boat that meant you do the worst of the worst jobs. No job too small for the leader. Like as if Jesus is saying here, the sign of a place that has real leadership is when you walk in and you see someone cleaning the floors or the bathrooms and you think to yourself, not, oh, that must be the janitor. You think, oh, that must be the owner. That must be the owner. Because they're doing the worst of the jobs. Lowest of the low. That's what Jesus says. That's what real leadership is. No job too small for the real leader. No job too small. The, the slave, the slave knows three things. The slave knows this that what he gets done is more important than what he's called. Why? Because he's always going to be called a slave. So the slave has realized titles don't matter anymore. Status doesn't matter anymore. When you're a slave, you're a slave, you're a slave. And so title, status, promote, all of that doesn't matter. Only thing that matters now is what can I get accomplished? And so Jesus says, we're going to be slaves. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on not what we're called. In fact, that's why Jesus said, I will not count equality with God. As Paul wrote this about Jesus. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. He gave up his title so that he could be a slave. And the slave knows it's about what I get done, not what I'm called. And we have, and this can creep into it at any moment in our lives, at any level of our leadership from the beginning to the end, where we want, we want a greater title, we want more recognition, or we want people to know how we're doing or, or know what, and, and the example Jesus gives us is stop worrying about that and just worry about getting done what I've called you to get done. That's what the real leader does. Next thing the, real, the slave knows is this. The slave knows that the slave's ability to self-discipline him or herself will directly impact how much gets done. And I think this is a biblical principle. Paul says it this way. I beat my body and make it a slave so that I might not be disqualified. Jesus knew it this way. Jesus would often withdraw to do what? Pray. He would often withdraw to isolate himself. At the very beginning of the ministry, Jesus is out in the desert and he's being tempted by all of the things that, real le or that, that leaders get tempted with, right? Power and wealth and status and basically everything that is the opposite of real leadership, the fake leader, Satan was basically calling Jesus to be a fake leader. That's what he was doing in the desert. He's calling him to be a fake leader. And, and, and Jesus, in his self-discipline, gets through that season of temptation. And in his humanity, had Jesus not, what happens to the rest of the mission? It's gone. What did Jesus know? That his self-discipline and self-control was directly tied to how well the thing he was leading would do. This might be the most personal I get this morning for you, and it's this, that your self-discipline, and later when Paul was describing the qualifications of an elder, what Paul was doing is not just saying, hey, this is how I need you to live. He was saying, no, this is how the people live who are actually able to do the job. 
He wasn't saying, live like this, and then you can become an elder. He was saying, I need elders who already live like this because that shows me that they'll be capable. Real leaders know that I have to self-discipline myself so that I can be positioned to actually slave myself out then to other people. I once had a staff member who could never show up on Sunday not looking hungover. I don't know if they were actually hungover. I hope not. I think they were just tired. And eventually it was, if you can't be self-disciplined enough to know that Sunday morning is the thing that matters most and that you need to get enough sleep on Saturday night, then there's no place for you to be a leader around here. Because you're, you and I, our self-discipline, the way we discipline ourselves, will have a direct impact on the success of what it is that we lead. And right now, there might be one of you out there going, man, if we could just get this going, or if we could just work on our strategy, or if we could just do this, then the thing would keep growing. And what actually needs to happen is you just need to begin to discipline yourself enough to get yourself figured out, and then all of these other things are going to line up. I was listening to a podcast with the, the pastor of the largest church in the country, and he was talking about how they were working through COVID. And as he was doing it, he um, had to interact with another leader that he really respects. And he said, here's what happened. That leader called me in to his little office. I was at his thing. This is the guy who leads the largest, it was Craig Rochelle. He leads the largest church in the country. And he said, he's sitting there talking to this other guy that he respects. And he said, hey, I'm not interested in your strategy right now. I'm not interested in the new initiatives you guys are going to do. I've got three questions for you. How are you sleeping? How's your wife? And are you still exercising? Because if you've seen Craig Rochelle, he likes to exercise. And the other guy said to him, man, as soon as you figure those three things out again, all this other stuff's going to take care of itself. You're a good enough leader. But, but once you get your self-discipline down enough, once you begin to dis- then, and that's exactly what Christ did. Christ knew I got to get away to pray. Christ knew I got to get I got to get some time alone. Why? Because I'm going to have to slave myself out to these people, and if I don't have this time, then I can't be the slave that I need to be. Okay. Last thing. the The real leader knows, or the slave knows, that the ultimate benefit always goes back to the owner. The slave knows. That, that they are under someone else's authority. Jesus, as a real leader making himself slave, even Jesus placed himself under authority. And one of the signs of fake leadership is when leaders get to a place where they think there is no longer any authority over them. And one of the signs of real leadership is even if you are owner, boss, pastor, even if you are whatever, team leader, and you think there's no more authority, even Jesus knew that he had to operate under authority, which means if we're going to operate as the leaders we need to, then we have to constantly remind ourselves that there is a, there, there needs to be some level of authority over us. And if you don't have it in this physical world, then go find it from him. Because even whatever it is that you're leading, if you don't have anyone over you, it's still his anyway, Right? And so you're submitting yourself. And Jesus knew that he had always had to operate under an authority. And that by operating under that authority, it actually made him a better, he, he could be a slave. Jesus could operate as a slave because he knew I'm just serving my father in heaven. 
Direct contrast. Fake leadership, real leadership. I would submit that much of the world looks the way that it does because fake leadership reigns supreme. And, and by the way, let's not get confused about the, the holiness of our mission versus the holiness of our leadership. Because you can have a holy mission and your, and your leadership can be holy worldly. Like fake leadership can operate in both kingdom contexts or church contexts, just as much as real leadership can actually operate in what we would call secular contexts. It's not about the mission. It's about how you're leading the mission. Fake leadership, real leadership. Fake leadership serves self. Real leadership serves people. But how? Relational connection. Restoring. Coaching without crushing rallying, not forcing, by being a slave who knows I'm under authority. And we all know that Christ did this perfectly on the cross and that the actual ability to become a leader like this is actually fueled in seeing Christ doing this for us, being melted by that and then doing it for others. Now, what's the end aim of this type of leadership? Right here. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Why do they stay with them? Because they were so rallied, by the way, to the mission, because they were so relationally connected to Christ that they would stay with them in his trials. And what does he say? I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What's the end aim of this type of leadership? How do you know that it's real leadership at the end? You know it's real leadership at the end because the leader looks down at the followers and say, now I want you to have as much as I do. And fake leaders, they want to hold and control what they have at any expense. And real leaders say, You can have everything I have. I want you to grow into a place where we are sharing and partnering in this. And the end aim of real leadership then says, I want to bring up as many people as I can to share in the benefits of what I get to as the leader, which is exactly what Christ did. Real leadership serves people. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us what real leadership is all about. And Father, the temptations of fake leadership are so strong. We get to to beat somebody down when they're wrong. And we get these perks that feel great. We get titles or promotions or people look to us as something. And Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us, as you did in the desert, to resist that and to become the servant and the slave. Father, help us to lower ourselves as you did, to serve the people that we have been blessed to have follow us. 
Father, to grow in this ability to serve and to slave ourselves. Because, Father, your style of leadership has worked really, really well. 2,000 years later, you're still growing. 2,000 years later, through everything the world has thrown at the church, it still remains the most powerful thing in the world. So we want to take a moment here at the end of our first session to let God work out whatever in you might need to be worked out or maybe you've gotten into the, you've fallen into the fake leadership trap somewhere. Maybe you do love that title a little too much. Maybe you feel like you've grown past the part where no job is too small. Maybe it's gotten easier to just disconnect yourself from the mess. So, Father, speak into our hearts right now. Father, I think about the disciples arguing about who would be the greatest. And you took a bunch of guys who, apart from you, nobody would have ever known their names. And now we're still talking about them 2,000 years ago. And their greatness came from one place following you. And so Jesus, teach us to be truly great, which comes only from following you and then doing as you did, being the servant and the slave. Father, I pray you would use the rest of this morning, now that we have a foundation on which to build on, I pray that you would use Justin and you would use joy to teach us now how then the real leader serves people in the most effective of ways so that we might be a part of building your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.